we begin a new series with the title Big Church, Little Church. Ben's going to tell us a little bit more about that shortly. But as an introduction, we're going to make a list. What I want is a list of all the activities, all the ministries that happen at Christ Church. We want the obvious ones, but the not-so-obvious ones as well. An extra respect for anyone who gives us one that Ben doesn't even know about. <laughs> Toddlers, what was one over here? Revive. Revive. Flag. Tea making. Well, and coffee. Alpha. We've got Cubs and Scouts. Oh, yes. Cubs and Scouts. Mission Prayer. Welcome. Maintenance. Maintenance. Eco. Cleaning the toilets. Clean. Tech, team. Tech, team. Tech, tech team. Tech team. Excellent. Yeah, How about Sunday, Sunday services? services. Oh, Sunday <laughs> services. Leading and preaching. Tea towel washing. I want tea towel washing on there. It's a big thing washing the tea towels, I tell you. Walking group. Walking group. Pastoral care. Pastoral care. group leaders, cap. Recycling projects. Recycling. Food bank. Knit and Natter. Knit and The website. Yeah, that's a good one. Come on, we haven't had one that Ben doesn't know about yet. No. Sue. Friendship and fellowship. Friendship and ministry. Oh, baptisms. Creativity. You've got to go in the store cupboard and look at oh, how the uplighters are being stored. <laughs> Apparently it's a work of beauty and we say a big thank you to Richard Fasham. So make sure you go and have a look in the store cupboard. It is a thing of beauty, it really is. Alpha, all in. Alpha. We don't all, have in. all in, Alpha. Church Duty wardens. wardens. Weddings and funerals, art group. Lifts, actually. The pastoral care team and all their lifts. Somebody says lawn mowing. Lawn, lawn mowing. mowing, yes. Carol singing. Oh, um, yeah. Neville Williams, yeah. Outreach. Outreach, watering the plants. More green school. More green school links. Hospitality. BCC. Oh, banner makers. Neighbourhood Forum. Birch. Well, readers, readers. Yeah. says the reader's husband. <laughs> it's nice to be appreciated, isn't it, Susan? Cake making. Oh, yeah, cake making, yeah. Oh, mission partners. We had mission prayer and mission links, yeah. mission links as well. Office volunteers. We've got Amanda. Amanda's got a big space all to herself. Electoral role, yeah. Thank you for joining in. And it's great, isn't it, Ben, that you do know them all, so that shows that you're a good vicar after all. <laughs> so, excellent. <laughs> yeah, you can stay, we'll have you. That's the list of all the activities, all the ministries, all the things that go on in this place. But they don't go on because Ben does them all, or because the readers do them all, or because the paid staff, the youth worker and the 
toddler club leader and the administrator do them all. They go on because of the volunteers, because of you, because of the people in this church. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I'd be surprised if there was anybody who's been here for longer than six months who isn't represented somewhere on that board. Because one of the things I love about this place is the fact that everybody gets involved and chips in and we're not just pew sitters, as the phrase goes, but we're active in the stuff that goes on in this place. And I just want to give thanks for, for you all, for us all, because I do stuff too. So let's just give thanks to God and just recognise that God is pleased by your service in this place. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our church. We thank you that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is our special little bit of family here at Christ Church. Father, we thank you for every single member here, and those who aren't, and those who are on the screen, who might have been shouting things out that we didn't hear. Father, we thank you for each one. And Father, we thank you especially for the ways in which they serve you in this place. Father, we pray your blessing on them all. Pray that they would know your favour. Father, pray that they would know that the places that you would have them serve if it's different to what they're doing now. But we just want to give you thanks that we can do these things because of your people here. And so we thank them, we thank you, and we bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder what comes to mind when you hear the word church. Uh, I imagine quite a different array of things. Perhaps you think of a, a huge vaulted ceiling of a, of a church built a thousand years ago with, a, with an organ swelling and stained glass windows and a beautiful choir singing. Uh, perhaps you think of a, of a village church without any heating on a cold winter's night where you're all sort of huddled together waiting for the service to end so you can go home and get warm. Perhaps you think of church structures and, and PCCs and dioceses and meetings and rotors and constant call for volunteers to do all of that. Or perhaps you don't think of an organisation at all but people, good or bad. Some of the worst experiences of my life have been at the hands of sisters and brothers in Christ and some of the best have been with them alongside me. That shouldn't surprise us because churches aren't made up of perfect people, but the sick looking to Jesus for healing. Uh, in the New Testament, there isn't actually a word for church, at least not like the one we use. Instead, it talks about a gathering or a congregation. So really, a church is what happens when resurrection people that we've been thinking about for the last eight weeks gather together with Jesus at the center. A church is a group of disciples of Jesus, gathering to worship God, to receive the Holy Spirit, to love and support one another, to learn from the scriptures, to encourage one another to live holy lives. And that means that size doesn't matter. Church can be big and church can be little. What matters is not the size, but the center. So over the next five weeks, Chris and I are going to be preaching through five church values to help us keep Jesus at the center. First of all, today, we're going to be thinking about, it's called All Involved. Next week, Becoming Disciples. 
doing evangelism, creating community, and encountering God. Big church, that's all of us gathered together like this on a Sunday, needs to do those things. But so does little church. All those smaller gatherings during the week where we meet one another in groups. And actually, a lot of them work best in those smaller settings, in little church. What matters is not the size, but the center, and that center must be Jesus. So as we look through those five values, I'd like us to have in mind Paul's words to the Thessalonians. Like you, most of you, they were great. And uh, like you, they were full of love for one another and doing their best to follow Jesus. So when he wanted to encourage them to keep pressing on in their faith, he put it like this. This is 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. And then in verse 9, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul tells them to keep following God's instructions, his best way of life, and to keep loving one another as God does. You are doing these things, he says, so do them more. Do them more and more. Keep it up. And that's my prayer for this series. We are already doing so much. Let us live to please God more and more. Let us love one another more and more. And let us do that in big church and in little church. For what matters is not the size, but the center. Mark 10, verse 35 to 45 Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant." And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we give you thanks for... Jesus, and uh, we give you thanks for those first disciples 
for their example, getting things right and wrong. And I pray that you would teach us this morning as we seek to be your disciples here today. Amen. Amen. My mum used to say to me, I don't know if your mums used to say this to you or if you are a mum and you say this to your children, I want never gets. You heard that one? That's what my mum says to me. Because I used to demand things and she was trying to teach me that I needed to ask rather than demand. And uh, I wonder if James and John learned that lesson after this episode. They sort of sidled up to Jesus, and they said, when the rest were sort of over there somewhere, and they said, at verse 35, Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They said ask, but it's not really a question, is it? But look how Jesus responds to them. Now, the Gospels aren't shy of describing Jesus getting angry. Perhaps a lesson for us when we are shy of describing God's anger or wrath. But here, Jesus is not angry with them. He responds gently. Not to their question, not to their demand, but to their naivety, their excitement, their desire to be close to the action. He says, verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? Let's just sit with that question for a moment. I have a series brewing in my head called Questions God Asks Us, and this is one of them. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus said. He says it a few times, actually. I wonder how you would answer that question this morning. What do you want Jesus to do for you? He doesn't always give us what we want, but he always asks, he always listens, and he is always with us. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Well, they replied, verse 37, uh, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. They didn't want to miss out on the good stuff. Uh, They wanted to be there to have the best seats in the house when Jesus did his thing, uh, when his glory was displayed for all to see. I think they probably had in their minds a picture of a massive throne with Jesus on and then they're either side going, hey, hey. The problem was, like when, Peter, when, when Jesus told Peter off for saying he was going... When Peter told Jesus off, that was the right way around, for saying he was going to die, James and John's thoughts were oh so human. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. They thought Jesus' glory would be like the glory of an all-conquering king or the majesty of an emperor or the victory of a fierce warrior. But when Jesus entered his glory, who was it on his right and left? Two thieves. Two thieves hanging on the crosses either side. They were those for whom the places had been prepared. Jesus turned this demand into a teachable moment James and John, and the other ten, let's not forget them who get pretty cross at all this, they didn't get that God's kingdom values are upside down, or rather the right way up. The moment of Jesus' worldly shame, dying naked on a Roman cross, was the moment of his heavenly glory. Why? Because it shows the depth of his obedience and faithfulness to the Father, even unto death. In God's kingdom, what matters is not how much authority or power you have or don't have, 
but how you serve. Listen to what Jesus taught his disciples. This is from verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Four words. Not so with you. We are to be different. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you like learning verses of Scripture, Mark 10.45 is one to learn. God's kingdom turns the world's values upside down, or rather, the right way up. Jesus embodied that in his own life, and he told us to do the same. In God's kingdom, greatness is not found in high office or in authority, but in service, in faithfulness, in obedience. Jesus gently turned his disciples' wrong-headed thinking into a teachable moment. It's a simple lesson, but one we disciples of Jesus have to learn again and again. Unfortunately, the world's values sort of subtly infect the church so that we don't even really notice half the time. And our attitudes become not the attitudes of the kingdom, but the attitudes of the world. And we still value power and authority. And that's why sometimes we can give some people and some gifts higher priority or value than others. Now imagine Jesus, well, he didn't do this thankfully, employed a firm of management consultants to help him choose his disciples. I apologize if you are a management consultant, but I am about to make fun of you. <laughs> Here's their response to Jesus, son of Joseph, carpenter's shop, Nazareth, dear sir. Thank you for submitting the CVs and references for the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. We have done due diligence, analyzed personality profiles, and identified their key transferable skills. It is our opinion that most of your nominees lack the necessary background, education, and aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable. Andrew prefers to be in the background. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests before company loyalty. Thomas shows a questioning attitude that undermines morale. Matthew is blacklisted for financial irregularities. James and Thaddeus are political radicals. We recommend you look for other persons with more appropriate experience, skills, and proven capability. But one candidate has potential demonstrating ability and resourcefulness, and he has a keen business mind. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and he has contacts in high places. We commend Judas Iscariot as your right-hand man and suggest you use him to appoint others like him. We wish you every success in your new venture. It's a silly thing, isn't it? But thank goodness Jesus didn't choose his disciples by the world's values. He turns the world's values upside down, or rather, the right way up. And in so doing, he shows there's a place in his kingdom for you and for me. Jesus did not come for finished articles, but for works in progress, for failures, 
dropouts, raw material for him to work with. He doesn't want to leave us where we are when he calls us. He wants to change us and transform us to be the people God is calling us to be. Jesus highlighted that the hated tax collectors and adulterers and other sinners to show that God's transforming power and grace is for all. In the Living Bible, 2 Corinthians 12.9 goes like this. My strength, God says, shows up best in weak people. My strength shows up best in weak people. One writer puts it like this. God delights in taking undervalued, unconfident, and seemingly untalented people and turning them into effective ministers. It doesn't matter who you are or who you aren't. All God needs is a willing heart, a heart willing to serve. Whether we're highly educated like Paul or not at all educated like Peter, all God asks is a willing heart to serve like Jesus. I've been thinking recently about changing the language we use about volunteers to to be not about volunteering but about serving because what we do is not about volunteering to keep an organization running but serving God through the different things that we do as a church. And if we're not serving God through those things, we should jolly well stop doing them. God values a willing heart. I hope your hearts are willing. I know many of them are. And I hope we nurture and encourage everyone with that heart of service to get involved more and more. Remember the Thessalonians? Do what you're doing, but do it more and more, Paul said. Now, Jess loves to go snorkeling. We have in the past picked places to visit because they're supposed to have lots of interesting things to see underwater. It doesn't always work. I, however, am useless at snorkeling. I don't know why, but I can't do it. I end up with a mouthful of seawater, coughing and spluttering on the surface. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with my face. Perhaps you can tell me later, but it doesn't work with a snorkel mask. So we've ended up buying a sort of large, not goggles, but sort of like a large face mask, so I can at least look under the surface for as long as I can hold my breath and see the things that Jess sees under the sea. I'll try saying that quickly. But that's when I learned what I should have realized would end up in a sermon one day. (laughs) Under the surface, the sea is teeming with life. I don't know if you've ever looked. From the surface, you can see maybe one or two sort of medium-sized or large fish. But look underneath, and there are countless creatures swimming in groups, swimming alone, hiding under rocks, buried in the sand, walking across the bottom. Some of them sort of stationary, rather ominous. You think, what's that going to do if I go near it? Churches are like that, not the ominous one. (laughs) Some of the gifts God gives are obvious, but most of them are hidden beneath the surface. So often the world stays up top, seeing and valuing only the most obvious gifts. It's the sort of alpha male model of leadership that you get in tech companies. But God sees everything. He sees the sea teeming with life beneath the surface. Now, I suspect most of us, if I asked you to make a list of of people with gifts in the church, would would be able to identify the people with the most obvious gifts, because a lot of them probably end up standing up here week by week. 
They are good and they are valuable. But every bit as good and every bit as valuable are all the hidden gifts. The things that happen when no one actually really notices or knows. They are just as good and just as valuable to God. And Little Church is an ideal place for those sorts of gifts to be discovered. Uh, Because we grow together and we get to know one another in little settings, maybe like a, a home group or something. And we dive beneath the surface to see the life that God has put there. Yet again, it's all upside down, or rather, the right way up. Most of the life in the ocean isn't found in the big, obvious things like blue whales and sharks, but in the countless billions of creatures that you can only see by looking below the surface. We need to change our perspective to be upside down, or rather, the right way up. You're getting it. To see things as God sees them and to value all the gifts that God has given to us. Imagine this. Okay, you're walking by a lake. It's nice to walk by lakes, isn't it? It's nice when there's a lake at the end of a long, hot walk. You can sort of take your boots off and put your feet in or go swimming like Jess. She likes the water. Imagine walking by a lake when suddenly you hear screams and you see someone drowning at the opposite end of the lake. You dive in, you swim across the lake, and you grab the person and take them to safety. Now ask yourself this. Which part of the body was the most important when performing that rescue? Was it the ear that heard the cry? Was it the eye that saw the person? Was it the legs that ran towards the lake, or the arms that swam, or the hand that grabbed? Of course, it's all of them, isn't it? It's all of them together. Without any one of those things, that person could not be rescued. In the kingdom of God, I'm glad to tell you, there is no greasy pole to climb. (laughs) There's no pecking order to sort of get your way to the top. There is a body made up of different and equal parts with different purposes, but every single one of them absolutely critical for the body and all working together for the common good. And the head of the body, it's not me, it's not a bishop, it's not even the Pope, it's Jesus. He is the head of the body, which is the church. I mean, for example, where would you put cleaning the toilets in the pecking order compared to leading a service? Well, probably, if the toilets were never cleaned, I suspect after a few months you wouldn't care who was leading a service. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? I want us to prioritize what matters to God. Obedience to the Father, faithfulness like Jesus, and a willing heart inspired and enabled by the Spirit. Then our values will be upside down, or rather, the right way up. Now, if you've ever flown anywhere on holiday or whatever, after you go through passport control, you end up in this mythical hall called the baggage reclaim area. And uh, there you will see, usually, well, if it's a large airport, sometimes it's just a... I've been to one airport um, where it was just a flap with a man on one side (laughs) throwing bags through onto the floor. But usually, there's a conveyor belt, or several conveyor belts, and there's someone on the other side chucking bags onto it, and they all go round this sort of merry-go-round. You you know what I mean, those things? And they go round and round and round until someone claims it. But the, the mad thing is... 
Have you ever beaten your luggage to the, to the reclaim area, which does happen most of the time, there's always half a dozen bags there from the previous flight. And I think, what? Did they forget their luggage? I mean, what's going on? Like, how do you walk out of an airport without your suitcase? Anyway, whatever. Far too often, and I'm guilty of this myself, church leadership teams come up with a great idea, capital G, capital I, and then put out a call for volunteers to create a rotor to help deliver it. Now, sometimes that's good, but actually most of the time, that feels like leaving the airport without collecting your luggage. The better way round is to collect the luggage and then head off. That means looking at everyone, even the unlikely people. It means looking beneath the surface for those hidden gifts that are so easy to miss. It means uncovering and valuing all people and all gifts and acts of service, and then encouraging one another to do them more and more. Then, the things a church does matches the people in it, rather than shoehorning the people into some vicar's idea of what they should be doing. And that's really what it means for everyone to be involved. Disciples of Jesus gathering together and finding out what he's given us so we can together live God's best life more and more. And that needs to happen in big church and in little church because what matters is not the size but the center. So I wonder this morning, what has God put in your heart? What gifts do you have? I know many of them are being used. It may be that you're doing something on there because you're filling a slot on the rotor and actually your heart is for something else. I want to know that. It may be that the thing you're on your heart isn't up there. I'd be quite surprised if it's not. But if it's not, I want to know that too. If you are doing exactly the right thing and you love it, I want to know that too. What is in your heart? What gifts do you have? What is God calling and equipping you to do? It might be a little thing. It might be a big thing. How can, how can we, as a whole church, encourage you to do that? How can we give you an opportunity to share those things with the rest of us? I'd love us to discover all that. And actually, those conversations usually happen better in little church rather than big church, because it's quite hard to have a conversation with all of you all at once. So those little conversations in little church are ever so important, so our voices don't get lost. So friends, let's make sure we value all people all gifts, however big or little, obvious or hidden, so we can all be involved. Let's make sure our values are turned upside down, or rather, the right way up. And let's learn the truth that what matters is not the size, but the center, because that is big church, little church. Amen.